Hello everyone, I just want to real quick mention that I have set up a Patreon account. Patreon is a service that lets you support the creation of free work by making periodic donations. If you are interested in supporting Ludus Novus and the other games development and writing work I do, you can go to patreon.com slash Gregory Avery Weir. Ludus Novus, episode 24, Decision Point. When a creator makes a game, there are hundreds of things that they make decisions about. They make choices about how the game proceeds in terms of narrative. They make decisions about the choices that are available, about, about what they abstract and what they choose to simulate. And these decisions are all made for a reason. It's not to say that they're all conscious decisions made by the creator, but there is a justification and a cause for the decisions that are made. And everything in a game is decided. Games are an inherently crafted medium. They are not a live performance. They're, they're a recorded work established in, in code and in framework and in content that is inherently malleable. Even in the case of a game that is partially performative, like a tabletop role-playing game or a multiplayer game where each instance of play is controlled by the players or the participants in the game, the core game, what is present in the rulebook or what's present in the multiplayer code, is both static and changeable. It exists in a form that is created beforehand. And there's a delineation between what's prepared by the creator of the game and what comes out of the gameplay experience. But at the same time, virtually every game ever made has rules that can be changed. It has code that can be modified or a rules file that can be changed. And so there was a point at which the creator or the society from which the game was born chose to say, for this gameplay experience, I am drawing the line here, and these are the rules that we're using. This is the content that we're using. So everything in a game is authored. It is chosen. And even though you can imagine a game which incorporates atmospheric noise or birdsong or the roll of a die, there is a decision that was made to use that random or unpredictable element. And I'd like to explore why these decisions are made, the cause behind these decisions effect. And I'm not looking at it from a perspective of analyzing the work in question, because there's this whole chain of what you can figure out by examining a work, the, what you can determine from what the implied author was trying to do, 
and in that sense you're running into issues of, of speculating about the author's circumstances and deciding whether or not you're incorporating ideas about the developer and the, the process of creation that aren't accessible to the consumer of a work. What I'm interested in talking about right now is, as a creator, how to look at the decisions that you make as you craft a game. I recently had the opportunity to read some student analyses of uh, a video game, and one thing that I noticed was that students tend to highlight the completely normal human tendency to taxonomize. We like to put things into categories and say, there are these four kinds of players, there are these certain kinds of play, there are these certain lenses that you can examine gameplay through. And that's simultaneously a very useful tool and a trap that you need to be careful of. Because as soon as you set up a taxonomy, you're declaring that everything in the world fits into these boxes, and anything that doesn't is anomalous. And you get into questions of sketchy formalism that can be both limiting to your understanding of works and problematic with how you approach actual creators and actual works with that taxonomy because it immediately establishes an inside and an outside and divisions within an area. So all that said, with all the problems with taxonomy, here is a taxonomy of the sort of decisions that you make as a creator of a game. A lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about won't immediately seem like decisions. They will feel like they're not things that are under the creator's control. But remember, as I said, you always make a decision of when a game is done. Even if that decision is based on the publisher tells me I have to stop now, or I ran out of money, you've decided. Even if you, the developer, die in the middle of development, leaving your code to your heirs, those heirs decide, is this done? What part of this do I share with other people? So really, every single aspect of a game is a decision, or at the very least, someone has made a decision, consciously or unconsciously, not to change that aspect of the game. So my taxonomy here is going to go in roughly descending order of intentionality, of conscious choice to unconscious choice. On the, the sort of the top of this ranking, the thing that most people would call totally decisions, is the intentional decision. Intentional decisions are things you choose for a reason. And there are sort of two sides to this coin. One is, I have an intent. I have something that I want to get across in this game. And I am choosing to do it in this way because I think it serves my intent. Whether it's, I want people to have fun, so I'm going to implement this mechanic in this way. Or, I want to evoke this kind of emotion, so I'm going to do this, or I want it to be really hard, so I'm going to add this thing that I think will be hard. So these are this kind of intentional decision with a motivation behind it is the most direct kind of decision you can make. It's, I as the creator choose to do this, and I choose to leave it the way that I did it. Motivation to action. You can kind of have a, a softer intentional decision there where you are working on a game and you get feedback in some way. You play the game yourself or someone plays it and tells you how what their experience was like and then you choose to make a decision purely based on that singular experience. 
So I played this game for 10 minutes, and I decided that because of that, I should make this change. It's I notice an issue that I can describe as something that can be improved for a purpose, and therefore I make that change. So these are both intentional kinds of decisions. These are decisions where if someone asked you, why did you choose to do this? You could give them a reason that is thought out and ties back to your goals for making the game. Taking a step down on this intentionality totem pole, you get to what I'm calling the heuristic decision. This is a decision which you don't have full justification for, but it is based on some rule or criterion you chose for your game. So this is, I made this decision, I chose this because it felt best to me. This is, out of my many different options, I chose this one because it matched my, my vision the best. This is distinct from the intentional decision because it, it doesn't require you to have a theory as to why this decision is the best. All you're doing is saying, based on the evidence, this fits best. This is the numerically best, this is the measurably best way to do it. So one side of this is the balancing process. When you have a game and you've got a bunch of different numbers that you can adjust to get the right feel to it. You can say, I want it to be this hard, I want, say, four out of every ten combats to be at a level of difficulty where you use 20% of your resources. That's the sort of decision-making process that's behind a lot of the rules in um, Dungeons & Dragons 3.0 and 3.5. They had a mathematical model that they used to generate their encounter difficulty and their level of damage that things took and how to build the numbers for their characters. And they didn't come in and say, I know that based on my vision for the game, something should have three hit dice on this situation. Instead, they said, I know that for my game, I want this level of difficulty, and the way the math works out, three hit dice is the right amount for this situation. So you can see how that's not a direct choice. It's not a decision that emerges directly from the vision for the game. Instead, it, there's one step removed there. There's this rules that you've set up for yourself as creator that you're then making decisions based on. And in a more informal way, the polish process is based on this sort of heuristic decision. You've got a game that's pretty much finished, all your features are in, and you're trying to make it better. And so you examine the game, you find a thing that could look a little better. You see some rough edges, you sand them down. You see a place where you could add a little spark of interesting flavor, and you put it in. You see an opportunity to make your interface more juicy, and so you add a particle effect, or you add a little tween in there that makes it look cool. And so each of these decisions aren't based on a vision for the game. They're not ones where in your design document or in your, your headspace where you're keeping the template that you're working from, you probably didn't go, I definitely want to make sure to have a menu item in this place that has this level of highlight when you move your cursor over it. Instead, it's an iterative process. It's a process where you have this level of quality that you want to achieve, and so you're making decisions until you achieve that level of quality. And often it's a qualitative feeling. It's a feeling of, is this good enough yet? Yes, no, yes, yes, it's good enough. At the same time, these are decisions that you're making. Do I do this? Do I do this? A or B, which looks better? And that sort of heuristic evolution is a very, it's a very deliberate sort of decision, but it's not as 
deliberate as the decisions that emerge from the fundamental vision for the game that you have from the beginning. Of course, the vision from the game can be kind of fuzzy, because there's there's the idea of, I want to make a game like this, and so I'm going to make these decisions. But it's another thing to explore inspiration. And inspired decisions are the next category that I'm going to chat about. Because inspiration is a weird thing. Inspiration is a feeling where you want to implement something in some way and you can't really explain the purpose. So an inspired decision is, I chose this thing to be this way and I don't know why I chose it like that. And most often this is described as arising from a muse, arising from something within yourself. You have this great idea to put this sort of character in, or to use this name that you think is cool, or to have a level be shaped in this way. And this sort of inspiration isn't deliberate. You don't have a justification for it. You were thinking about what would be good, and you picked this. And you can, afterwards, you can polish it, you can examine it, and decide whether or not it's good, but it's, the seed of that idea comes from nowhere. Of course, it doesn't really come from nowhere, right? It's, it comes from your background, your inner vision, your personality, the dreams that you had last night that you can't remember, some scrap of music that you heard on the radio and influenced you in a way that you don't understand. Because we are, our, our brains are these complicated systems that often behave in ways that we don't consciously understand. So this inspiration, this, this muse-like inspiration is one thing, but there's also social inspiration. There's inspiration that comes from society. And a lot of the tropes that you see show up in media come from this sort of social or sociological inspiration. It's not necessarily that you said, I think it would be a great idea to use a damsel in distress here to motivate the player. Instead, you have a player motivation, and it seems right. It just seems right to have a woman there that you're going to use to motivate them. And that sort of inspiration is often the disconnect that you see when people criticize a work either for purposes of social justice or for being too cliche or for being boring. Often the criticism is, why did you decide to do it this way? And the creator's response would be, well, I didn't decide that. That was just a thing that I put in. But all these choices are things that you're making. And so when you put in a character that looks like you and don't have a reason for it, that has been inspired by society. That has been inspired by the fact that you think of the default person as being that way, as being a certain race or a certain gender or from a certain social class. That is a decision that you as a creator are making because you could decide to do it another way. Or once you make that inspired decision, that decision that comes from nowhere, that's just made for no reason, why not make this personal woman? Afterwards, you have a million opportunities to change that, and you choose to change it, or you choose not to. This is the same sort of decision that you make when you're inspired by this muse, by your your inner creativity. You're deciding, hey, is this a good idea? Is this idea that came from the ether a good idea? Or do I want to shelve it? Similarly, is this idea that came from my social defaults a good idea, or is it something that I want to change? And that decision to change it might also be socially influenced. You might say, hey, I did this thing by default, but my society also says that I should change it because of this reason or this reason, and you get to choose whether or not you listen to that inspiration. 
So we've discussed the intentional decisions, the decisions that are made for a purpose. We've got the heuristic decisions that are made because it felt best, because it fit my model best of how I want the game to be. And then you've got these inspired decisions that are based on this external or external feeling source that you can't explain the reason for it, but it came from inside or from outside and not from a conscious choice. So far, these are all things that can exist in most media. Books have deliberate decisions. They get proofread and edited and polished. They contain inspiration, certainly, from both the the creator's own experience and from the society the creator lives in. Same is true for movies, same is true for art. But one thing that, that tends to happen in games far more than in other media is the emergent decision. That's the decision that comes as the result of other decisions. And this comes from the fact that games are complex rule sets. So you can certainly have emergent issues, things that come out of oddities in the filming process, or restrictions that are put on serial novels just because of the structure of the book itself, where you have to have a chapter break every certain amount of pages because the magazine that you're serializing something in has only a certain number of pages. But emergent decisions happen all the time in video games. And these are things like the strategies that arise in a real-time strategy game. So when you're looking at a game like StarCraft and the strategies that come out of it, the the micro, the, the way that you move across the board, the way that you focus fire, these are things that come out as a result of other decisions. Someone decided that the damage model works a certain way, this other thing works a certain way, movement code works a certain way, and what that all ends up resulting in is this strategy. And there are two reasons why these emergent behaviors can come out of a game. The first is that you just don't notice that this is a consequence. So you might make a game, make the rules this way, and you make the rules this way, and lo and behold, it results in this weird thing. Sometimes that can be considered a bad thing. So bugs are emergent decisions that you made. You wrote code, the code didn't work how you wanted it to, but you didn't spend the time to find that out. And you could have spent more time. You could have tried harder. You could have spent decades testing this game, and eventually you would have found it. With an infinite number of lifetimes, you would have found this issue, but you decided not to. Or you decided not to pass on that bug-fixing task to your heirs so that someday one of your descendants would find it. But there's also the emergent decision that you leave in intentionally. So, rocket jumping was a mechanic that ended up serendipitously coming out of the quake movement and combat model. Players found out after the game's release that when you aim your gun at the floor and jump at the right time, the force from that explosion will allow you to jump higher than you otherwise would. And that was the example of an emergent decision that people didn't notice, or didn't notice until relatively late in the process. The inclusion of rocket jumping in most games since is something that was deliberately chosen to be left in. In some cases, it was chose, it was completely intentional. In some cases, you look at first-person shooters, if you want to use genre terms, and you say, I'm putting a rocket launcher in, I understand that rocket launchers have this consequence of rocket jumping, and I'm going to leave that in. In other cases, you might find unintentional side effects of your game's rules that you like. You might find out that your rules mean that 
It turns out you can juggle enemies in a certain way. You can attack in a way that keeps enemies elevated off the ground and unable to act. And you think, hey, that's a cool thing that I didn't expect, and I'm going to leave that in. And you might then move up the chart. You might say, I'm going to take this emergent decision that I made to have this juggling functionality. I'm going to choose to leave it in, and I'm going to polish it or balance it in such a way that it's the amount of difficulty that I want to have. So there's this level of deliberation, this intentionality to the decisions you make. And everything that you do in a game, you have decided to do in that game. You or whoever releases the game or whoever evolves the game has decided what to put in and what to leave in. What to leave out from initial development and what to take out from the nearly finished product. And so as a creator... You can never escape responsibility for any smallest detail about your game, which can be kind of intimidating. Your game, whether you're an individual or a team of a hundred people, is the product of your decisions and is entirely the product of your decisions. It's a great responsibility, and it's also enormously inspiring to me. It's something that makes game development an almost spiritual act. Because moment to moment, you're making hundreds, thousands, millions of decisions for any game. And each decision is this tiny thing. It's this little spark, this little bit of inspiration, this feeling that you want to capture, or this incredible happy accident that lends character to this final product. And this final creation doesn't resemble scattered choices. It doesn't appear to be pebbles tossed across a floor. It becomes a mosaic. It becomes a million different pieces that all fit together into a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. And if you do a good job... All those decisions combine and interfere and amplify and enhance each other to become this experience, this potential experience that thousands of people can explore and make their own and make their own decisions about. And just as the act of playing a good game is the process of making interesting decisions, second by second and hour by hour, so the process of creating a game is a series of important and powerful decisions that you make over the course of hours or weeks or years. And every single one of those decisions has the potential to create something amazing. I'm Gregory Avery Weir. And this has been Ludus Novus. The music for this episode is Lafayette, the instrumental version, by Josh Woodward, and is available under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. If you want to comment on this episode, talk about decisions, or argue with any of the things I've said, you can visit ludusnovus.net. Ludus Novus is supported by everyday people. If you'd like to help support it, go to patreon.com slash Gregory Avery Weir. Ludus Novus is free, available under a Creative Commons Attribution 
non-commercial, share-alike license. You can do what you want with it, as long as you don't make money off of it, you say who made it, and you share it under a similar license. Thanks for listening.